Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 10 of Pigskins and Nylon. That's right, we've hit double digits here. I'm Wally Lukashinsky, and I'm joined once again by my great friends and co-hosts, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. we got a fun show lined up for you guys today. Another week into real recruiting. We'll get an update there. But first, let's say hello to the boys. Hayden, Casey, what's going up, guys? Uh, what's going up? I don't know. No, it was one cra- <laughs> one crazy day today at work. Very glad to be here sipping on this drink and looking at your pretty faces. Very glad that tomorrow is Friday. And very excited about this past week in recruiting. Very excited to give the update on that. But other than that, doing all right. That's great, Casey. I, I can see it's going to be one of those episodes right off the bat. already getting shit, and I can't get three sentences in. Hayden. How about you, man? How are you doing today? What's going on in your world? Guys, I'm actually doing really good. Vacation starts on Monday. We're going to Cancun. And I have never been more excited to get away from uh, the corn and bean fields in Ohio. So that's it's going to be nice to get some warmer weather. Have just, just a couple drinks. Just a couple. But I've been working on a lot of college college stuff to get prepared to go so I don't have to do any while I'm there so I've been working in advance that's that's the uh, pro of doing online work so what a great student I'm the probably the most studious person in this podcast <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face anyway yeah that's what's going on in my world well that sounds like it's going to be a fun time and if you didn't pick up on that Hayden's actually not going to be here for next week's episode number 11 just going to be Casey and I which will be a little different. It'll be a little fun. As the year goes on, you're going to notice occasionally one of us is going to be unavailable. So we'll keep the, well, I guess we're going to keep the train on the tracks. We got it figured out this week, opposed to a few weeks ago when we got that expression a little butchered there, but it'll be a fun time. But otherwise in my world right now, not too much going on. I was excited today though, that I'm sure some of you have already seen the NFL has made an agreement that they're going to allow alternate retro helmets again so there's more than just one unfortunately this doesn't include like new helmets where like people that are Bengal fans that might want the white helmet or the chrome helmet it's just retro right now but you have to imagine that this is going to open the floodgates so to speak and I know Hayden you're a Buccaneers fan so it'll be cool to get to see the creamsicles out again I don't understand why like what what was the NFL's reasoning for not allowing this before? They just literally don't like to have fun or is there an actual reason? Well, it's, they're the no fun league. Well, and believe it or sense. not, this was less on the NFL. It was the NFL PA. They were using this as almost a bargaining chip, and I thought it was gonna go all the way to the next CBA agreement, but they're doing the whole, you know, it's not as safe for us to break in multiple helmets in a year. And I don't know how entrenched they were in that belief or if they were using it as a bargaining chip but the fact that it's coming out now it's a little bizarre i'm not really sure what went into that decision i'm sure we'll hear more about it as the days and weeks go on the creamsicles are like elite elite and might be the best throwback jersey in the league is that a hot take yeah that's a very hot take especially when the steelers have the bumblebee uniforms those are atrocities They're, they're atrocities I will say, though, I don't think it's that hot of a take. There's a few I'd probably put above the creamsicle, but it's in that first breath. But like the Kelly Green Philadelphia Eagles jerseys, then you have the Houston Oilers jerseys. Those are really cool as well. 
that's something that you could like you want to do a big 10 big five obviously it wouldn't apply to us but that's something that you could go and rank for days and hours on end yeah that's very true i have one more thing that i want to say so typically the nba playoffs i always have a team to follow because it's whoever lebron is on well lebron got booted the Atlanta Hawks and Phoenix Suns are so fun to watch. I've never rooted for a non-LeBron team so hard than those two teams. I don't know about you guys, but I think those two teams are so fun to watch, and I really hope that they meet in the finals. I saw some guy, and I forget who it was. It was one of the blue checks on Twitter, tweet something about how this is horrible for the league because – LeBron, KD, like all the big, big names aren't, you know, playing anymore. And it was a funny Kevin Durant quote to it and said, it's funny that, I forget who it was. He's like, it's funny that this guy thinks he knows what's best for the league. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. But no, watching Trey Young is, that dude is crazy. And I don't know who's beating the Suns, man. They're so fun to watch. And Booker is amazing. You just mentioned like the health of the league and stuff like that. I think you hear that conversation in almost all of the major sports. Like there's this stigma that if there's not like a super team in it, like the league's health is is not as much, uh, or it's a little bit more in jeopardy, in, so to speak. But I'm kind of the other way around. You're seeing it right now in the NHL too, where there are four teams. Yeah, you have Vegas and Tampa who have a few star-studded names. But then Montreal and New York are also a, a win away now from being in the Stanley Cup. And while I'd prefer to see the better teams play, it's also good for the league that you have other markets that might not necessarily get that love and get that, I guess, success that you're used to seeing. And now that you have the NBA, it's the same thing. I think none of these four teams have an NBA championship since the ABA merger back in like 76 or 77. So no matter what, you're getting a first NBA championship for one of these teams in 40 plus years, unless I'm way off. No, I think that sounds accurate, Wally. Well, then perfect. I'm going to run with it as if that's fact. So, yeah, first time an NBA te- one of these four NBA teams are going to be a champion for almost 50 years. So that's really exciting, and I have a hard time believing that that's not good for the health of a league. But let's talk about the league that we focus on here now. We're going to jump into our Big Ten Big Five, get a little bit more focused on the Big Ten yet again. This week, we decided that we're going to do the greatest what-ifs of Big Ten football in the last 20 years. So basically back to 2000. That's, you know, it's been our benchmark, and that's what we're doing again today. This is wide open. You can really take this any way that you choose to go about it. It can be an isolated incident. It can be a a large one. So I'm going to let you guys go first and decide on what your top five is going to be. Casey, we're going to start with you first. Let's hear your top five. I think Hayden and I are probably going to be pretty Ohio State heavy, so it'll be good to have someone else Give a little bit of a perspective on the league here. Well, first off, I didn't know that it was just Big Ten football. I got a basketball one in here. Basketball works too. I, I don't think that All would right. be an issue. Yeah, they were. I was go. actually looking at basketball ones, basketball ideas too. So I didn't I didn't put any on my list, but yeah. I'm all for it. I mean I mean, I only have one basketball one, but I thought it was significant. And the way I kind of wrote everything down, I'm kind of going to ask, like, it's going to be asking you a question. What if this happened? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so number one, number five, what if Michigan State doesn't slip up against Notre Dame in 2013? 
that was Michigan State's only loss on the year. It was 17-13 to against Notre Dame. They finished that year 13-1 and with a Rhodes Bowl win over Stanford. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that team in my top teams that didn't win a championship when we did that a few weeks back. But they would have gotten to the national championship over a one-loss Auburn, right? Without a doubt. And they, they potentially could have won it all. Yeah, Michigan State in 2013, I think. What happens if they don't? I think, gosh, dang it, who was their quarterback? I know they had Connor Langford Cook, at running right? back. Was it Connor Cook? I, I think Connor Cook was there from 13 and 14, but maybe I'm off. He was there in 15. That's why I thought that. You was keep going through your list. What I'll do is I'll search back, and if you're wrong, I'll make you look like an idiot. If not, I'll, all right. I'll look hey, like an idiot myself. Hey, 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 that's that's all good. So for number four, what if Iowa makes a stop in the 2015 Big Ten Championship game? As much as I've been loving on Iowa uh, recently, the question I posed, did they get blown out in the playoff like Michigan State did? Much as I love the Hawkeyes this year, the answer is yes. I'm sure they do get their brains beat out by Alabama in the semifinal. But here, here's where, actually, I lied. One more, and then we get into the, the serious question talk here. All right, number three, what if Mitch McGarry doesn't get injured? My take is Michigan wins a 2014 national title, a team that lost to Kentucky in the lead eight on a buzzer beater. Pretty much didn't have Mitch McGarry that entire season. And previously, in the the previous year in the postseason where Michigan made it to the national title game, that dude was balling. He had 14 points a game, almost 11 rebounds. And I felt like he was only getting better. So my hot take is if Mitch McGarry doesn't get injured, which I, I know he had his, his smoke and pot incident, which kept him out, I think, for whatever. But then he got injured in 2014 with a back and just could never get back. <laughs> could never get back his back. Anyway, I, I just think that if they if they have McGarry throughout that tournament run, that he makes a difference and they win it all. Uh, I can't follow you. Is that dude still in the league? Dude, Does he still I, play? there's, there's I, no I, way. He was so good. I, is that what you were going to say? He was so good. He, he he reminds me a lot of Hunter Dickinson in terms of their ability to finish around the rim. He's not as big as Dickinson was, but I think he moves a little bit better. But, yeah, I, I think he was key to that team. But here's the big one. So, number two. What if Urban stays retired in 2012? Where is Ohio State now, and who did they bring in? So I'll leave it to you two for that. Real quick, before we throw it over to Hayden to hear his top five, couple notes there. Mitch McGarry retired from the NBA in 2016. It does not look like he went to play overseas at all. So his basketball career was over about five years ago. And then Connor Cook, I had a little bit of the cheat code because I got to go to high school with him for a year in Northeast Ohio. But he did play at Michigan State and started from 2013 through the 2015 season. So he was actually starting his true sophomore year through his true senior year. And obviously they were they were pretty damn good. But we'll, we'll get more into that. I have a couple takeaways on that 2013 team as well. But Hayden, let's first hear your list, your top five now. Whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to answer even get to number one yet. I got to answer Casey's question, man. Yeah, oh. there we go. See, I got confused at first when the way you were posing it to us, I thought you were done, and I thought that I was an idiot and miscounted. Nah, you're, you're, you're the idiot in another way. It's all good. Yeah, as long as it's <laughs> another way, that's all good with me, too. But yeah, you, you answer his question first, Hayden, and I'll answer as well. First of all, Casey, that that is an unbelievable question, and I'm 
kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't even think of that. Where would Ohio State be if they didn't hire Urban Meyer? Well, probably not have won a national title, I don't think. <laughs> while, while Wally was, was spewing on about nothing, I actually looked up an article. This is from May 30th of 2011, and it was like 10 head coaching candidates that were apparently in the running that Ohio State could hire. On that list, there was Chris Peterson, who everybody knows him from Boise. That was where he yeah. became big. Is that bef- that was before he went to Washington, right? Yeah. Another guy that we see on BTN a lot was is Glenn Mason. He was on the list, and that is I don't know. He he coached he coached at Ohio State for like seven years, like in the early '80s. So I guess he had ties to the program. Another one was Bob Stoops. So I guess bringing in another big name, the Youngstown yeah. kid. I guess that was the angle they would be looking for there. But I mean, you don't want it to get like an older retread there as well. I know Urban, I guess, technically was as well. But I don't know. I, I, I remember hearing about that, but I don't remember it getting a ton of traction. I mean, if Urban is 1A, I would say Stoops is 1B easily. Like, I, I thought that would be a great hire. I think that they, well, obviously they didn't do it because they went with the Urban Meyer route, but I could have seen them going for an up-and-coming guy to be there for a longer period of time. I mean, think about Ohio State coach. I think Fickle might have actually stayed. Like, there's a legitimate chance he might have stayed. Would Ohio State fandom be happy about that coming off their first, what, season that they finished under 500 since, like, 1898? I don't know. But I don't think keeping Luke Fickle would have been the worst-case scenario there by any means. I'll finish off just a couple more names off this list. So Luke Fickle was actually number two on this list. Another guy that made the appearance was John Gruden, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then the last one that I want to mention is Greg Schiano turning around Rutgers. Really, the the 2010 Rutgers season didn't go well. This article says they finished four and eight. What they were though, you know, building them up. I guess that could make the case for him. Urban did obviously an incredible job everywhere he's gone. That question is is so tough to answer because I don't think Ohio, like Ohio State, would be. You can't. They're they're not where they are now. He he took Ohio State to another level. That was one of the first ones that popped in my head, honestly. But Wally, do you have any thoughts as to where Ohio State would be now and who who they would have brought in? I think that they probably would have been in that Penn State tier, that like following tier of, I guess, not necessarily in every year national title threat, but in your good years, you probably have a like a shot at it or at least making a playoff two to four times every 10 years, I think they would have been that 10-2, and 11-1 kind of team, kind of the Michigan State in the early teens, or Penn State, I guess, in the last 10 years realm. There's no way that they get to where they are now. The recruiting dynamic completely changed, and in a weird way, I think all Buckeye fans everywhere, most of them will tell you, as much as we love Jim Trestle, him going out at the time the way he did was the, it was like a secret flower that you thought in the desert like you thought that this team was about to fall off without trestle in reality it completely changed the recruiting makeup of the team the identity of the program itself now it almost in a weird way again the Meyer leaving the way he did it also could have been a blessing in disguise as well as now they're making that transition yet again to more of the pro style offense and hopefully 
have quarterbacks that are able to throw the ball in situations because that stretch from 2012 to 15, Urban Meyer, as we all know, falls in love with having his quarterbacks run an egregious amount. And that's part of the reason, too, where I'm interested to see how he changes his coaching style once he gets to the NFL. But I, I don't think there's a chance that they are who they are right now. It was it was monumental for Ohio State. That was an awesome question. I, I'm already worried that that's the best question that we're going to have, and Hayden and I haven't even started yet. Yeah, I think it definitely is. Casey wins the award for today. Yes, let's go. But anyway, my number one, I think... How is that not your number one? That's a great question. Well, I got, <laughs> I'm just following up on that. Holy moly. Well, because I think the, the last one is also program changing. And it was more, it was close. And you guys had it on your list too. What if JT was ruled short on the field? Obviously, I don't think it would have been reversed because it stood when they re- reviewed it. But that Michigan team was really good. I think they probably win the Big Ten and make the playoff. And Michigan's confidence against Ohio State isn't completely shattered. And so I think does – like where is Michigan if they win that game and, and Harbaugh gets that monkey off his back in year two? That's an actually a really good one. And we've gone into topics before. I think one of our first episodes we were talking about the best teams in the Big Ten since 2000. And that 2016 Michigan team – was one of the best teams in the last two decades in the entire conference, whether it be, I think, what, the three losses that year came within, like, seven or eight total points or something to that effect? It, yeah, it was five. Even better, yeah. And they that Florida State loss, you had Jake Buck got hurt, Jabril Pepper sat out, I believe, and I want to say there were there was at least one other person that yeah. sat out. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember, but there were a handful of guys going into that game that weren't playing. But, yeah, led by Jabril Peppers, and then Butt got hurt. I can't remember if that was early on in the game or not, but yeah, either way, yeah, five points. Well, and you know for a fact, too, that if Michigan makes the playoff instead of Ohio State that year, Michigan's not losing that game to Clemson 31 to nothing. We've At least I'm of the belief that Ohio State, while that is one of the best Ohio State-Michigan wins in the legacy or in the rivalry for Ohio State fans, it also didn't do... It didn't do them any favors once they got to the postseason because Clemson just was in a class by themselves on that field. I mean, Gary and Conley gets that pick early in the game. You think maybe this is the Ohio State team. They do it again. Two years ago, it didn't feel like they had a shot. And what did they do? They went on a run and you had that belief. But as soon as they missed that field goal on that ensuing drive, it was Clemson the rest of the game. But how about you, Hayden? Let's hear your top five now. Your what ifs. I know they're probably like me, probably a few more Ohio State included than Casey anyways, but let's hear yours. I had two similar with Casey. So the 2015 Iowa, I had that number five on my list. And I'll go ahead and say my number one because I had the Michigan-Ohio State 2016 overtime. Was JT short? Was he not? He wasn't. It was the first sound. (laughs) So on that topic real quick, I saw – God, I don't remember what. I think I was on – our um, podcast Twitter, and I saw something about, like, somebody did some research on, like, the, I don't know what it was, but about that play call and that it was, like, he was short when they did all the science research, all all the science stuff and math stuff, I guess. I don't know. But I thought that was interesting. That's still haunting Michigan fans to this day, that they would – 
care to bring that up as if it could change. Yeah, that was one of the most intense moments that I've lived through in a sporting event. I mean, I'm just sitting in the crowd. You know, I was at the game. You, I, I didn't even realize what they called on the field, so I couldn't see what I couldn't see the ref. You know, signal first down or anything. So when they come out and he says, you know, the call on the field stands, I'm like, what just happened? And everybody goes, everybody goes bananas. So I was like, oh well, it must be good for me. But yeah, yeah, that- yeah bro. From my angle, because I was on the opposite side of you, I didn't even know that it was that close. Once I saw it go to review, I was like, oh shit, he's he's short. <laughs> yeah, first down. But I, I was right there in the same position you were. From my angle, I I, I mean. I was facing them coming toward me, so I couldn't really tell where the spot was or anything. But Moving on. This one is a little different. 2006, Ohio State, Michigan. What if we had a playoff then? Would we have gotten a rematch? Ohio State would have stayed, what, number one, right? And I can't imagine Michigan would have fell very far. I, I mean, after that game. So... If we had a yeah. if we had the four team playoff, would it be Ohio State versus Michigan in a semifinal? No, I think if I remember correctly, Michigan probably would have been four. Ohio State was one. Florida had one loss, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Eight, okay, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, for some reason, I was thinking that Florida was one, but they were two, and then USC was three. Either way, my point is that. It would have been a Florida USC <laughs> national championship instead of Florida Ohio State, in my opinion, because USC would have beaten you know either Ohio State or Michigan. I, I'm saying I don't think that they would have rematched Michigan and Ohio State. I forgot to to point that out. So maybe they put Michigan at three, USC at four, Florida at two, and then at that point it would have been USC versus Florida because that USC team was really good. They smacked Michigan in the Rose Bowl, and then but that was Florida smacked. That um, that system was the computers, though, right? So it wouldn't have been like the person. Well, if it was a BCS playoff, maybe. But it, it, you have to. Really, I mean, Casey had a great point there. Just because we've seen the hesitancy of the committee to make rematches a thing in the postseason. I mean, look at this year. There was all that belief. I, I know with the way it ended up, it was. It, they kind of forced their hand a little bit, but they, they were hesitant to make a third Notre Dame and Clemson game. I think no matter what would have happened in that ACC title game, I think they would have done everything in their power to make it so one of them was two, one of them was four. And I think, like you said, I think Michigan would have been three and stayed ahead of USC for the simple fact they do not want that back-to-back matchup of Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, I guess that was, you know, I was kind of thinking in today's ranking system, not BCS rankings. Sorry to cut you off there, Hayden. What, what's the rest of your list for us? So, number three. God, I'm, I'm OSU heavy on this. I have so many what-ifs. Number three was 2015 Ohio State-Michigan State game. <sighs> what if that game turned out differently? And I have this on my list because I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast, but both of you know it. I was at that at that game, and I camped out at game day the night before and literally stayed up all night. Casey's fiance, that's kind of weird to say. Casey's fiance brought me a McDonald's sandwich and some blankets. So I stayed up all night. We you know I was at game day. I did all that. Game's not until eight. Went to the game. It was 
raining sideways, it was windy, it was cold. And then to watch Ohio State only give Ezekiel Elliott 11, I, I get it, he was in the hospital that week, whatever. They only gave him 11 carries for the whole game. And I'm not saying that's why they lost, but you, you got to feed that man. And to watch Michigan State kick that field goal and the, the kicker, you know, waving his windmill arm, that was brutal. What if that game turned, they're going to the playoff again, and it's the same team from the year before. One of the biggest what-ifs I think Ohio State fans have, really. 2017 was just Penn State and their whole season, really. They lost that crazy game against Ohio State where they were up huge. They were up by, you know, three scores. Somehow, Ohio State pulled that game out and won. But then, I think it was the very next week, they go play Michigan State, and they had like a a two-and-a-half-hour weather delay. Again, I'm not saying that's the reason they lost the game, but you got to think, if those, even one of those games turns out differently, I don't think maybe they would have made the playoffs, but you could make a case that that was the best Penn State team that we've seen. And for them to lose those two games like that, absolutely brutal for them. That that was a playoff team, in my opinion. They were super, super good, and they just had some unlucky unlucky things happen to them. Honorable mention, and this one's going to hurt Casey, actually. We were watching this game together. The Michigan State-Michigan game in 2015, the drop punt, which actually came back and hurt Ohio State super bad because I think I was, I was looking this up earlier. I think that... Even if the Ohio State lost to Michigan State, they still would have won the East, I think, because it would have been a two-way tie between Michigan and Ohio State, and Ohio State had the head-to-head. So that game really came back and bit Ohio State bad. In the moment, I didn't you know, even think anything of it, but looking back, that, that really hurts. So what if that game ended differently? It would have shaped who won the conference that year. That was the game with the Surrender Cobra, too, where... I remember in the moment it was awesome as a Buckeye fan because you'd love to see Michigan hurt, and you were right because it paid us back in full a few weeks later because that was only a few weeks before the Michigan State game that you were just talking about too. And that was a situation on the last game of the year when Ohio State beats Michigan and Ann Arbor. I was all fired up. You have Penn State and Michigan State's the 330 kickoff, and Penn State jumps up 7 nothing early. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen again. Ohio State's going to get into the playoff because Michigan State's going to lose here. Unfortunately, what happens is Michigan State, I think, scored 38 straight points. And that game was a, a fiasco, and we never even had a chance to get excited beyond the first, like, 5, 10 minutes. But, yeah, that's a really good what-if, too. Those That whole 2015 season was brutal, man. Casey, I saw you had your hand up earlier. What were your takeaways on his list? Let's go Penn State 2017. I agree with Hayden. That was one of the better teams that we've seen, I think, in the past decade, and they didn't win at all, let alone the conference. The Michigan-Michigan State game, Hayden, we said something right before that punt because they took a timeout. And we, I, I remember – I forget what was said, but yeah, I remember yeah, – This is the this is the direct question. So, for people who don't know, Casey and I are watching this Michigan-Michigan State game in my dorm room in Smith-Steve – and, like, I, I wanted to go because Ohio State played a, a game, like, right after that. And I was, you know, I was getting ready to go. Like, I was getting antsy. Like, I, I always got to games super early, so I was a weirdo. And, like, no, I got to finish this game. I need to watch it. So, Michigan's getting lined up to punt. 
They call timeout. No, who called timeout? It, it doesn't matter. A timeout was called. And Casey looks at me and goes, something weird's going to happen, dude. I can feel it. That's his exact quote. I, I will remember that forever. He said, something weird is going to happen. And then the rest is history. Yeah, trust your gut, people. That's all I can tell you. But anyway, so after that happened, Hayden went to the game. I went back to the party that we were at. Nobody was there. I mean, that was on freaking, I don't remember where it was, but it was a good mile and a half walk to it. I walked back to his dorm, and I forget what the heck I did the rest of the night. But, yeah, you know, the heartbreak days of being a Michigan fan are over. I'm very happy about it. Well, yeah, you're an Iowa Hawkeye stand now, so you're all good. Don't worry about it. We'll have to worry about you in Iowa State, Iowa, and then Iowa's second matchup. Who was it again? We talk about it every week. They have Iowa State in the first game, and then they follow it up with another big conference game. It's Indiana. Indiana. Good call. Wally, let's hear that list, dude. I want, I'm excited for this. Yeah, I actually, again, there, there's so many questions. And every time you are a fan of a team, you have more what-ifs for your own team naturally. You pay extra attention to every little detail. So I tried my best to have only a couple of Ohio State on the list, so bear with me. But here we go. For a couple here to start, they're kind of broad. What if the Big Ten did not go back on their word to play football in 2020, this past year? If the Big Ten, as a conference, doesn't play football, how far does the fallout go, and how long does it last in the conference? Not just for Ohio State, but for those teams more in the middle of the conference that might be losing recruits, might be losing guys to transfer, stuff like that. I thought that was a fascinating question that we'll never know the answer to now. And very luckily for the Big Ten, we're never going to find out. But that's one that, for whatever reason, stuck in the back of my mind just because I mean, I would never have that satisfaction when you beat Clemson this year. Even losing to Alabama, it was something that you were able to be like, you know what, Alabama's, they were a wagon this year. We were not going to see Ohio State beat that team. But to see Clemson, Dabo, Trevor Lawrence take an L to Ohio State after what happened, it's a shame to even think about the prospect of that game never occurring. And we were that close from that happening. So that's stuck in the back of my mind. Another one here. Playoff expansion or playoff period, like more what you were saying, Hayden, back to the 06 era. Think about how many teams we could have seen in a playoff from the Big Ten or vice versa, teams that shouldn't have made it if the playoff didn't exist. Because I feel like a lot of people, because Ohio State won in 2014, forgave the whole committee of the Baylor and TCU getting left out. But if Ohio State gets bombed against Alabama in that first playoff game, who knows how the playoff is perceived overall. It could have just been, wow, now we have even more problems than we had to begin with. You're going to leave out two very deserving teams in the Big 12 with one losses each for a team like Ohio State that has their third-string quarterback in that got beat at home by a slightly above-average Virginia Tech team. So I, the playoff in general has changed the outlook on one loss and just seasons as a whole and the way people schedule games. So I thought that was a big one. Now, I've got a couple here. I'm going to try to mix it up through some other teams, some love here. I know they weren't in the Big Ten yet, so it kind of feels cheating. But Nebraska in 2001, they lose their season finale game to Colorado, their rival, and they lost pretty bad, too. I want to say they lost by like three scores. But they still stayed in that number two spot and matched up with Miami before they got bum-rushed there as well. What happens if Nebraska's given the Sugar Bowl or they're given 
the Fiesta Bowl and go and win there? Do we see them maintain a little bit of the momentum that they seemingly lost after those early thousands, late 90s teams? That's one of those I think Nebraska fans have to at least wonder. So Nebraska lost that game to Colorado 62-36. to So, yeah, it wasn't particularly close. That's actually really surprising that they would, that they would stay number two, huh? Beauty of those computers back then, a 26-point loss in the last week of a regular season somehow didn't drop them at all, or they stayed there. And then in Nebraska's defense, that 2001 Miami team was otherworldly. Looking at their roster, I mean, it's probably as good, if not better, than that roster of the following year, Miami, that us Buckeye fans obviously got to know a lot about over the years looking back. But you just have to wonder about that Nebraska fall-off if they aren't given maybe a third seed instead and then go play whoever the four or five ranked team in the country was in the Fiesta Bowl or Sugar Bowl. I, I wonder about that too. Then a couple other here real quick. Terrell Pryor's recruitment. There was a period of time then, I'm obviously stuck right between Penn State country and right between Ohio State world with Pittsburgh. And I had a lot of friends there too where, I mean, he's from Jeanette. That was that kind of, at that point, it was Penn State country. I know that, who was it? Was it Jordan Hall that was also from Jeanette that went to the Ohio State? Too? That doesn't matter. But at that period of time, Jeanette was Penn State world. And if Terrell Pryor is a Nittany Lion, who knows how the trajectory of both of those teams go beyond that? Because that was obviously Jim Tressel's final quarterback there. If it's another Todd Beckman in, do we see Urban Meyer decide to take the job? I know, obviously... Terrell Pryor wouldn't have been there either way. Urban Meyer's first quarterback was Braxton Miller. But you have to wonder about the, I guess, domino effect, the butterfly effect, had that occurred and had Terrell Pryor been in any lion. And who knows, too, how that goes. I mean, the Joe Paw stuff would have come out eventually, but it's just one of those crazy things you think about where, wow, you know what? Penn State could have been, they could have been a national title threat for a couple of years there as well because that was back when their defenses were still Top five in the, in the country every year. The last one I'm going to go with, and it's just because it wasn't brought up yet, but what if Ohio State declares themselves postseason ineligible for the 2011 season opposed to the 2012 season? Had that happened and Ohio State was eligible in 2012, that was the last year, or second to last year, excuse me, of the BCS system, Ohio State and Notre Dame would have been playing in a national title game instead of Alabama-Notre Dame. And we all know how that turned out. Alabama bum-rushed Notre Dame, and they would have destroyed Ohio State too, but that's not what was on play. It's not on the table. Alabama was the three. It never would have happened. Ohio State at least would have matched up halfway decent with that Notre Dame team. And who knows? Yeah, wouldn't it have been the national title that you're probably most proud of when you look at the quality of opponent there? But banners fly forever. In the year 2030, not a lot of people are going to be saying, oh yeah, but guess what? That 2012 title, that was a really weak Notre Dame team they played. So if Ohio State wins that game, who knows how everything goes? Does the recruiting impact changes anything? Does the outlook of the Ohio State next few years change? Are we more critical of Ohio State and Urban Meyer's tenure for not having more national titles at that point? A lot of questions, but a couple of quick honorable mentions. Actually, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just give you two. One is the Wisconsin 2011 season. 
We talked with Drew a few weeks ago talking about how they lost three brutal games, two Hail Marys effectively to Kirk Cousins and that Braxton Miller team in 2011 before they go to the Rose Bowl and seemingly prepared to win that Rose Bowl against Oregon before a couple questionable calls in that fourth quarter switched the game over to the Oregon Ducks' favor. But I wonder about that. Who knows? Maybe does Wisconsin get better quarterback recruits? Do they get better quarterback play fall out of that? Because since Russell Wilson, they kind of reverted back to what we're used to, the Scott Tolzines, the Joel Staves, those kind of quarterbacks. Just now you're finally getting another high-profile recruit in there and Graham Mertz, so we'll see how he does. And the last one, it's kind of a, a cheat, which is why I didn't put it in my top five. But simply, what if the Big Ten got their best team into the playoffs in the last 10 years, opposed to often the second or third best teams every year? It's crazy when you go back and you walk through since the playoff. Ohio State was the best team in the Big Ten 2014. But 2015, Ohio State was better than that Michigan State team. In 2016, Michigan was better than an Ohio State team. In 2017, Penn State was better than anybody else in the Big Ten. So you just have that wonder of if they had gotten their best teams in, if the teams didn't, if the conference didn't basically cannibalize itself, could we be looking at the Big Ten with maybe another national championship since the playoffs started? Who knows? We'll never know. But I at least think about it quite a bit. That's a, a tough little question that I... I know that not only Buckeye fans wonder about, but those Michigan fans, those Penn State fans wonder about as well. And you had it as an honorable mention, which is kind of funny to me, is you're literally your last point about how since 2014 minus last the last two years, 2019 and 2020, but from 2015 until 2017, the Big Ten didn't get their best team in. I guess that sticks out to me because – you never know what could happen if, let's say, Penn State gets in the playoff that year in 2017, and even if they win one game and lose, how much that can impact their recruiting and, and what happens in the program. Like, looking back, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it really is. Like, those, even going, having playoff appearances impacts everything that a program does. So, I'm kind of surprised you didn't have that in your top in, in your top five. It's a good point to bring up, regardless. I just kind of felt he was cheating because it was so broad, but it was one of those things you can't help but think about quite a bit. And you're right, not only does that help the team that is in the playoffs, but if Big Ten teams get in, everybody gets a cut of that pie. Teams like Purdue, Indiana, Rutgers, they're getting a sizable paycheck simply because they're in the conference of a playoff team. It has trickle-down impacts for not only the teams that missed out, but for the teams that obviously are playing and going three and nine every year. So we're going to jump right into our topics now. I'm going to give you a quick recap of a couple stories that we've talked about over the last couple weeks. Real quick, just to give you kind of a little follow-up information here. I mentioned last week how the College Football Playoff Committee is entertaining the idea of expanding the playoffs to 12 teams. They're going to be giving this topic a summer review, as they call it. They're going to basically figure out how and when the playoff expansion would happen, whether that jumps in immediately for the upcoming season, whether they have to wait a year or two. They also figure out if this, they, they're just trying to figure out if this is feasible, if this is going to be something that monetarily works out for everybody involved. This doesn't screw over too many bulls out there because we all know what it comes down to is money. It comes down to the TV deals. Everybody has to make sure they're getting their bottom buck. So that's something we're going to keep our eye on over the next few weeks and months as we will be hearing more coming out from the playoff committee. On Monday, 
The Supreme Court of the United States made a unanimous ruling stating that the NCAA cannot put a cap on educational-related benefits. In short, the ruling means the NCAA may not place any limits on educational-related benefits for athletes, such as laptops, tutoring, or study abroad programs. The NCAA then comes back and says, we're just concerned that they're going to have these benefits stretch and basically limit the parity in football even more as the big schools are going to be giving players cars and stuff like that and just spinning it for it to be an academic reason. So that was kind of an interesting note there, but the Supreme Court unanimously, again, ruled against that. The NIL was not addressed, but I'm sure we're going to be able to get more into that as we figure more out over the next few weeks. Perhaps the biggest story that came out of the sports world this last week, former Penn State Nittany Lion and current Las Vegas Raider Carl Nassib becomes the first openly gay NFL player in the entire history of the league. It's a little crazy, but it's an awesome story nonetheless. We want to first of all just congratulate Carl. That takes It takes a lot of guts to come out and do that, especially the way the world is right now where everybody has your life at the click of their fingers in social media. But it was a matter of time, and the fact that it happened in Pride Month and that he was able to give good awareness, too, to the Trevor Project as well. I mean, there there has to be only good things that can come out of this story, right, guys? What were your initial thoughts when you got to hear the awesome news that Carl Nassib wanted to come out and felt comfortable enough to do so? Yeah, I thought it was awesome that he was finally able to come out, you know, and, and feel comfortable doing so and announce it to the world. From everything that I've heard about him, he's an awesome guy and an awesome teammate. And so I'm glad that he doesn't have to hide who he is anymore. But for me, I can't wait until we get to a time where, you know, things like this don't become the big headline. And you know what I'm saying? But anyway, very happy for him. He obviously made a generous donation as well. You know, that it's going to a good cause. And I hope that this allows others to feel comfortable coming out and uh, there aren't, and I really hope that there aren't any negative repercussions or anything, you know, bad that comes out of this because um, I felt like, you know, you know, it was crazy to me at the time and it thinking about it now, it's still kind of crazy that the SEC defensive player of the year. And I think it was 2014 or some, or something, Michael Sam, what he came out, I think it was before the draft. Maybe it was slightly after or whatever. But he didn't get, like, he never played it down in the NFL, basically, right? Or am I off? No, he never actually became an active player. He announced in the actual, I guess, process of the draft pre, like, beforehand. And like you said, he never actually was on an active roster once the regular season started. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. I hope that doesn't happen to Carl. I think in 2021, we're at a different point than what we were back then. But just keep progressing and keep accepting people for who they are I mean that's all I got on that yeah I think Casey pretty much nailed it one thing that I'm I'm kind of interested in is if there's other players in the league who might feel more open to revealing who they are and feeling comfortable who they are because of this and you know if so that that's great I hope they do but really, I, I don't have much to add. Casey, Casey pretty much pretty much covered it all. So Yeah, my last thoughts on it was just going to be that people in the LGBT community as well have representation in the NFL now, something that they've never had. And for such a large platform, that's so exciting and so encouraging. And it really is crazy. I, I wrote down Michael Sam too here, Casey. And that's less than 10 years ago. And it feels like the reaction is so different this time around. 
when Michael Sam came out, I don't feel like it was nearly as positive. And what, Carl Nassib comes out, the last three days, he's the number one selling jersey in all the NFL. And I don't mean to dog Carl Nassib, the football player at all, but he's not that great of a defensive end where getting number one jersey sales in the entire league ever seemed even possible. So it just shows how people are fired up about this and, and feel empowered. And you're right. I Hopefully we do get to see people come forward and, and get to live their truth in the near future. And this is, it's one of those, you can't have all these guys come out before somebody does it. And the fact that Carl took that brave step, it's, it's really exciting. But we'll switch over now to recruiting. You two are our recruiting gurus. We have a lot to talk about today. A lot has happened in the last week. Kind of a couple weeks later than we thought it would. We thought it was going to be earlier once that the official visit started happening again. But we have some big commitments and a few more crystal balls out there right now. I'll throw it over to you guys so you guys can let us know a little bit more. Casey, let it rip, dude. Big week in recruiting. So, you know, if I start talking too much, you guys can just, you know, tell me to shut up or whatever. I'm going to run through the the Big Ten commits in the past. All right, there I go. That's my cue. See you later, fellas. (laughs) All right, no. um, So I'm going to go in in order the Big Ten standings for the commits that happened within the past week. Feel free to jump in. Starting at the number one uh, ranked team in the Big Ten, also the number one ranked team in the country, Ohio State, got a four-star running back by the name of Dallin Hayden. Hayden, shout out to you. 5'11", 195, running back out of Tennessee. They did only get one commit, though. Although, you know, we could talk about J- – I think we're going to talk about JTT things here Things are brewing. Bit. Things are yeah, brewing. Things, yeah, yeah, there you go. Things are brewing. Penn State, who I believe has the number two class in the Big Ten now, jumped to Rutgers this week. Got a three-star commit from wide receiver Tyler Johnson, who's six foot, 175 out of Virginia. Michigan had a pretty nice week, too. They got a three-star running back out of South Carolina, C.J. Strokes. Three-star athlete Aaron Alexander out of Michigan. And then I believe, yeah, today they picked up a four-star quarterback who I didn't even know was on their radar, Jaden Denegal. He's, you know, pretty solid kid, 6'4", 215 out of California. Michigan State picked up a 6'5", 235 tight end. Michael, oh, a couple of these names I'm going to botch for sure. Masunas, I, I don't know, out of Arizona. Uh, they picked up three-star Jaron Glover out of Florida. Maryland picked up a not-rated linebacker, Caleb Wheatland out of Virginia. Minnesota picked up Anthony Smith, who is that big 6'6", 265 defensive lineman out of Pennsylvania that I, I think we talked about a couple weeks ago. They picked up a three-star wide receiver, three-star edge rusher, and a couple not rated on 247 guys. Nebraska picked up three-star running back Ashton Hayes out of Nevada. Three-star athlete Grant Page out of Colorado. Three-star edge Jake Applegate <laughs> out of out of Nebraska. Wow, what a great name for Nebraska. Applegate. Wow. No thoughts on that one. <laughs> no, you're right. That's about as Nebraska as it could get right there. Right. <laughs> Perhaps one of the bigger gets is Indiana getting four-star corner Travell Mullen. He is the brother of the current Mullen that is on Indiana's team and also the brother of the Clemson Mullen, I believe, too, right? What, Trayvon Mullen's brother? Yeah. Is that accurate? 
Sure. I, I don't know that for sure, but I'm just going to say I, yeah and run with it. I, I'm, a, I'm about sure that it is. Raiders they also put, Trayvon Mullen. Oh, he's on the Raiders now? So, he's ruined. Uh, anyway, Indiana also picked up three-star linebacker Isaiah Jones out of Ohio. Carter Smith, three-star offensive tackle out of Ohio. They hit Ohio pretty well. Uh, three-star quarterback Josh Hoover. That was today, I believe. Well, well, yesterday for the people that are listening to this. Holy smokes, I messed this. <laughs> I messed this typo up when I uh, I put it in here. Northwestern got a three-star <laughs> edge rusher, Dennis Jaquez, who is four, <laughs> four foot six, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds, out of New Jersey. Just kidding. He's obviously six foot four. Anyway, Iowa got four-star defensive lineman Aaron Graves, who that was actually another big pickup out of the Big Ten this week. 6'5", 260 out of Iowa. Illinois picked up three-star receiver. Purdue picked up a not-rated athlete out of Ohio. And then finally, Wisconsin gets some commits within the past week. Three-star corner, three-star offensive tackle, three-star athlete, and a not-rated commit. Out of all those, I know I talk pretty fast. Is there any that stood out to you guys? Yeah, actually one, just because I feel like an idiot now. We said that's the most Nebraska name ever. Isn't the Apple Bowl that Washington-Washington State rivalry? I mean, he had an, a, a golden opportunity there to go out there. You want to talk about NILs, the Apple guy for the Apple Bowl? It was perfect. He had money in his pocket, but he goes to Nebraska, so... I guess good luck to him there, but that was my main takeaway there. My head has been broken since I heard that name. One of the guys that I was going to hit on before you, Casey, was, and he's kind of a, not a, you know, huge get, but Carter Smith is from Ohio. He's a three-star guy that went to Indiana recently. Yeah, he's got great uh, size. Yeah. Really he's, great size. He's been camp, He's he's been to camp at Ohio State a couple times, and he was, sounded like from things that I read, was was trying to get an offer and Ohio State was kind of slow playing him a little bit to kind of see if they might be able to get some bigger fish. But he, you know, he jumped the gun and went to Indiana. So, you know, good for him and good luck. Well, it, it's to be seen if Ohio State will keep pursuing him. He is a lower rated guy, but with his size, he does have some potential. On a serious note, though, I did want to ask you, Casey, I know that you're not like a diehard Michigan fan anymore by any stretch, but you obviously pay enough about the, attention about the team. This Jaden Denegal guy, I didn't even, like you said, he wasn't even on my radar as someone that could potentially come out to the Midwest and play for a team like Michigan. With that situation, is he someone that you guys think could legitimately be the starting guy here in a couple of years? Or is this going to be one of those situations that in three years, Jaden Denegal might be at a different school altogether? I can't imagine that this guy's going to come in and, and really make a difference. Michigan, from what I've heard, they're trying to get a quarterback at class now so they don't really run into the issue that they've been running into lately where they don't have a quality backup or starter for for that matter. But no, so yeah, he kind of just fell into their hands. They offered him yesterday, I think, and he committed today. Something like that. Something happened real quick. He was at some camp. They offered him whatever. Pretty highly rated guy for, you know, just out of nowhere committing to Michigan. But, yeah, they were going hard after Nate Johnson, who uh, committed to Utah, to say that they're going after their future quarterback. is probably a stretch for this class because they did just get J.J. McCarthy. And then next year they have, you know, their eyes set on Dante Moore. But 
I mean, uh, from what I've heard, he's a, he's a decent athlete. I'm not sure if he'll, uh, you know, tight end looks like an option to him. Apparently he was playing, his playing weight last year was at like 235 and he's dropped down to 215 already. But yeah, I mean, to get a four-star guy, it, it always looks good. But, you know, how much we're going to hear of Jaden Denigal, I'm not really sure. Aiden, we'll throw it over to you now. Were there any big surprises or anything that really stuck out to you this last week? Because you know I'm going to have to ask about JTT because people like me, people that aren't even big into recruiting, that's like the guy that I feel like Buckeye fans have been focused on. What was your big takeaways this week before ultimately you know where I've got to take the conversation? Casey, you know, he's phenomenal. He's a great guy. He literally covered everything, so that's that's really nice. So I'm going to hop into JTT right now because... Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. What? I got, what? I got to, you know, there were some big crystal balls this week, too, that I didn't get. Those were just the commits. That's how big of a recruiting week that we had. Those were all the commits. We had more crystal balls. I'm going to touch on real quick because... Nah, there were some really big ones. So, Hayden, I'm sorry. Oh, God, he's taking off his headphones. He's gone. Oh, God. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> so he's some, some he's, he's done. Yeah, he's done. He's gone. Some big crystal balls within the past week that I thought were uh, noteworthy. Jack Nichols, a high three-star. He's got a crystal ball to Michigan State. Deion Walker is a high three-star defensive lineman. Uh, got a crystal ball to Michigan. And that dude is massive. Six foot six, 340 pounds. I believe he's out of cast tech. That's going to be – that will be a big get for Michigan if they're able to land him. Indiana got a four-star receiver, Omar Cooper, crystal ball. And then there were a few Michigan ones here. Justice Finkley, who I didn't actually think Michigan had a shot with because he's from Alabama, a top 130 guy, four-star defensive lineman, got a crystal ball to Michigan. Mario Ugino, I don't know how to say that, Four-star edge rusher, got a crystal ball to Michigan. Dylan Bell, three-star wide receiver, got a crystal ball to Michigan. DeArco Perkins McAllister, four-star safety, got a crystal ball to Michigan. Cadden Hauser, I know I probably botched that. He's a high three-star quarterback to Michigan State. Kevin Thomas, three-star wide receiver to Michigan State. Shannon Blair, three-star athlete to Michigan State. Trevon Howard, high three-star safety to Northwestern. Billy Scroth. A four-star interior offensive lineman got one to Wisconsin. And lastly, Keon Wiley, three-star linebacker to Penn State. Hayden, I'll toss it over to you. Did any of those stand out to you? Yeah, of course. Anytime you can get a, a crystal ball or even just attention from a highly rated guy out of Alabama possibly come up to the Midwest, I think that's a huge deal. And, you know, we're we're super early. We're super early, so things change all the time. but. You got to like the positive news on that front. One of the things, and I'm looking through this list, and like you said, I'm going to butcher this name because it's unbelievable. Alessandro Lorenzieta. You know, and I don't mean to dog on that kid because I have yeah, no I, I didn't even I didn't even put him on on my list, but he's he's unranked by two four seven, but or unranked by the composite three star um on two four seven, the number one player in Connecticut. Just building that Connecticut to Michigan pipeline, baby. We love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean because it's worked out. It's worked out so well. God bless it. <laughs> that's a name though, Alessandro Lorenzetti. That's got to be oh, somebody that's got to make it. Oh yeah, dude, I was thinking the same thing. That's a dude that you know he might make it. I'm pretty sure he's got he's got some offers 
according to 247. I should know that. But anyway, he canceled his official visit. So he visited, visited Michigan this past weekend. June 18th was a big weekend for Michigan. I heard that Walter Nolan had a pretty good visit. I still don't really think Michigan has a shot with him. I think he's just kind of teasing him a little bit. I don't know if Michigan will ever be able to land a top five guy out of the state of Michigan. Uh, I don't know. I guess they just got J.J. McCarthy. It's very hard. They have all the... They have the advantage with Walter Nolan right now. Kid out of Tennessee. His grandmother's in Detroit. His dad's a big-time Michigan. He's really high on Michigan. Tennessee's down. It just all kind of adds up to where, like, Michigan should have this big advantage, but they don't. And And then Nick Saban scoops him up at the last minute. Well, yeah, and stuff like that happens. I'm sure he's already got a Bama offer, but, you know, anytime Nick Saban calls, I'm sure it changes with every phone call that he makes, but... Yeah, I mean, I I think the blog boys will tell you that Michigan's got a pretty good shot, but I I don't think that they that they do. Tri- I got a trivia question for you guys real quick. Sure, so, there there's one Michigan player that was highly re- highly rated, highly recruited, and I thought underutilized I'm going to give it away by saying this, underutilized in the offense that I think is very very talented. That is from Alabama. And went to Michigan. Who is that player? Pass. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Nico Collins was from the state of Alabama. Oh, I thought you were talking about a current player. My fault. I know. I just didn't know he was from Alabama. I'm not going to sit here. And, no, you know what? No, I'm going to take the that route too. Oh, you meant you meant not <laughs> current player. My bad. I would have got that earlier. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I you know, Nico. I guess. Kind of current-ish, no. But, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, we'll give so, you credit. Basically, Michigan, yeah, basically, Michigan's got a pipeline to Alabama is what I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, like, when you think about Alabama recruiting, it's Michigan, Auburn, Alabama, in that order, typically. So, anyways, Hayden, JTT, I saw some news this week that Jack Sawyer is switching from that 33 we got to see him wear in the spring game to number 40. That doesn't seem like a big deal on the surface until you realize JTT's number in high school was number 33. Of course, people like me and all the other Buckeye people out there are talking ourselves into this is a telltale sign that he is going to be a Buckeye. Do you feel that that's going to happen? What have you been hearing? Do you think that this Alabama trip could sway him? Because that's tomorrow, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it starts tomorrow. Well, you got, you, you know, I, I think you were the first one that sent this to me about, you know, Jack Sawyer switching numbers. And I'm sorry to say, but I'm here to tell you that it means absolutely nothing on the JTT front. You can be mad all you want, but this has literally zero impact on if Ohio State lands JTT. But what I will say is, though, everything that I have read, Ohio State is very, very confident and very happy with how the visit went that I, they don't think that they could have done anything differently. They thought they were leading going into the visit and they thought they were leading, leaving the visit, which is what you want now, Nick Saban. But that's why you want to have the last visit. Now go ahead, Hayden. No, the last the last visit means absolutely nothing in today's age. And it's all about having the best visit 
which co- sometimes coincidentally is the last visit. It all depends. Yeah, ninety-five percent of the time, the last visit's the best visit. No, you're dead wrong. But that's okay. He went to Oregon. We haven't really heard much after that, but anytime you have to fight Nick Saban off, you're in for a real street fight. So no news yet, but Ohio State feels feels very very good about the situation and where they stand. Just curious, why do you think he was switching numbers though? The only reason I'm asking is because. I've heard him talk in interviews before about how James Laurinaitis was his favorite player growing up, and that's why he wanted to wear the 33 at Ohio State. It just kind of seemed weird that he switched before he even suited up in a regular season game. I guess I'm just confused what the mentality was. I literally have no idea, <laughs> but I promise you it, it, it doesn't have to do with JTT. I'm going bet to the, convince myself it that. will. That's fine. You can. That I you know encourage it, kind of, but don't get your hopes up. I'm convincing myself that because of that, it's a done deal. Like, I don't even know why he's flying to Tuscaloosa tomorrow. JTT to Bama all day. I said that before he had all of his official visits booked. And I'm going to say it now because I'm a big believer in the having the last visit because 95% of the time it's the best visit because it's the most recent. But I, the, you, the, you, the most recent, take- where, once you get home, the most recent doesn't matter anymore. Once you get home, you still have to sit down and think, okay, which place am I going to envision myself for three years? Because well, it's not always going to be the last place that you went. Well, right, but there's just so many advantages that having the last visit has. Like, for instance, when Ohio State fan or coaches were showing up at the airport with all the, you know, the the custom polos and everything, and it was breaking the internet. Like, well, what do you think Alabama's going to do tomorrow when he flies in? I'm sure they're going to do something spectacular now, too, to make him feel at home and such. So, I don't know. Ultimately, you're right, Hayden. It does come down to personal relationships. Alabama can do everything Ohio State did, but if he has a better connection with Larry Johnson, he's going to he's more than likely going to come to Ohio State. But I just think from a recruiting standpoint i think having the last visit you have an advantage in terms of you know showing up at the airport showing them the right things showing i I don't know that's just my opinion though if it's the best visit yeah you're right but if it's not the best visit then well this is obviously a little unique too i'd imagine just because jtt is that recruit where if it's number 415 and he's going to visit Northwestern, and then right after the following week, he's going to visit Rutgers. They're not probably doing as much research on the visits themselves, I'd imagine, beforehand, right? Where this time around, they Alabama does have that advantage because they did get to see, at least at the, the surface level, what they were willing to do. So is that true at all? Again, realize I'm asking as the casual recruiting guy. Good talk, good talk. Uh, I, I, I'm confused uh, at your question, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess I, I wasn't really picking up what you were throwing down. Let me try to readdress this a little simpler. Because of the social media presence and the fact that cameras were there, those videos went viral of the Ohio State recruiting visit. That's got to be different than the average three-star recruit when he goes somewhere. You're not going to see that, I guess, the videos on social media and stuff that gives Alabama more of an edge than typical, maybe the 55th recruit in the class. You know what I'm saying? That's more or less what I'm asking. I hope that makes it a little more clear. Mm, 
I mean, I, I guess Crap so. Are, so. Don't even uh, worry about it. Well, so are you saying that like three stars when they come to Bama are going to be or Ohio State are going to be disappointed that they're not getting that kind of no. treatment that JGT did? No. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that Alabama, obviously, on Twitter, you just mentioned like the the hardcore polos, meet them at the airport, all this cool stuff they're doing for them to really go all out for JTT. Alabama kind of has a scouting report of what they're doing for them, so now they're going to try to one-up themselves, where the three-star, they don't have necessarily the idea of what Ohio State did for this kid. You might not go all out as much for the three-star, and that last visit might not be as important as it would be in this situation. Right, right. Okay, I see what you're saying now. No, for for guys, for high-profile guys, especially a a guy like this who was taking his time. I don't know if I've ever seen a recruit as highly rated or as sought after as JTT ever take his time like this. This this has been crazy. I mean, at this point, JTT is ultimately a 2020 recruit or 2022 recruit because – we're at June 24th right now. When's that boy going to enroll? August? I know he's got size and everything, but there's just no way that he's where he needs to be to play in the SEC or the Big Ten. And so, you know, ultimately, he's just going to redshirt and then come in as a redshirt freshman the following year. In my opinion, I think that <laughs> I, I can't imagine Saban doing anything too crazy I, I don't know. I've watched a lot of videos on him. I've read a lot of books that he's written and about him. I feel like he's just going to be straight up honest with the kid. He, he's going to be, hey, I've got seven national championships. We've won six here. You're going to come or not. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel like they're going to do anything. They might. I don't know. It depends how how much they want this kid. But Bama's 2021 class was literally the best recruiting class in the history of two four seven sports. So it's not like they're they need this kid. Anytime you can add a top three player in the country, yeah, but I mean they literally had the best recruiting class that's ever been calculated, I guess. Casey, what do you think about some stuff I've read is that JTT views himself more in the pass rushing role. So typically you're Wow. You're even front type look. And if I'm not mistaken, Alabama runs a lot of three, four-ish types of look. Do you think that comes into play? And do you think Ohio State was trying to sell that big time to him or not? Ooh, see, both schools can use that as a recruiting tactic against one another. Ohio State running a 4-3. Hey, you come to Ohio State, you can have double-digit sacks three out of your four years. Or you'll probably only be here for three or be there for three years, but... Or Alabama can say, hey, we run a 3-4, and we're going to develop you for the NFL because that's what I would say 80% of the NFL teams run a 3-4 defense. So kind of all depends on, from that perspective, kind of depends on what he wants out of his college career. Does he want to be that guy that, you know, that has to chase young 16 sacks in a season type year? Or can he live with, you know, being at Alabama where he might only get eight or nine because he's not the primary edge rusher. Great talent is recognized no matter where you're at, position-wise. And so whether JTT goes to Alabama, gets only nine sacks in each of us, I mean, that would be crazy, nine sacks in three seasons, in all, all three seasons. 
or he goes to Alabama or Ohio State and gets double digits all three season. Like that would be crazy either way. But I think if he's good enough, he's going to get recognized. If and I know I'm rambling here. If his main goal is to get developed and go to the NFL. My last thought on this, and I know we've taken a little bit of an extended period of time on this, is looking at Ohio State's defensive end production. If you don't want to play for Larry Johnson, in my opinion, you're kind of out of your mind. But that's coming from an Ohio State perspective. And I know Alabama has great dudes in the NFL on their front too, but just from my perspective. But, see, I feel like this is the big debate right now. I think Alabama produces interior defensive linemen better than what Ohio State does. Ohio State produces better outside defensive linemen, better than what Alabama does. Obviously, that has a lot to do with scheme and such. So, I think JTT, he needs to decide. According to his 247 profile, this boy weighs 287, I want to say. I I don't know other than what's listed on his profile. What is listed, do you know? 277. 277 is listed on his profile. So he's right in between, like Jack Sawyer at 248. There's no shot he goes down into the interior defensive line. JTT, he might, putting on 20 pounds is nothing at that level. You know what I'm saying? So if he wants to be an interior defensive lineman, he puts on 20 pounds, he goes to Alabama, he probably... Ohio State interior defensive lineman don't succeed, but he probably gets a lot more recognition, whatever. So he needs to make a decision whether he wants to be an interior defensive lineman or an exterior defensive lineman. And I think that would, for me, that would make my decision. DN, go to Ohio State. Interior D lineman, go to Bama. I think that's a good place for us to let off on the recruiting this week. We'll probably have an answer here before too long, like you said, because we are getting late into this process. I would be surprised if he did redshirt for the simple fact you just talked about. He probably will be on campus for three years before going to the next level. So even if a team's only going to get a minor role out of him, you would imagine they would take that over missing him the entire year, I'd imagine. But anyways, that's more that we can discuss next week, as I'm sure we'll have more news on JT Tumaloau. Real quick, this is kind of off the cuff, but I saw it earlier today, and I wanted to ask you, Casey. A lot of recruiting pictures came out from Michigan this last couple weeks where it looks like they're rocking alternate uniforms, and it's something we've not seen Michigan really do. We're talking maze on maze. We're talking sometimes the road whites on blue pants. We're t- talking pretty much any combination of this. You asked us how we felt about Ohio State wearing throwback uniforms, and we told you we kind of are for it to a degree. We understand this is what the kids want. Are you kind of in the same mold where you're like, it's about time, Michigan. Let's open up a little bit on the actual uniform front, or are you more of the traditionalist where you're like, We're, this is Michigan. We don't wear anything but our traditional maize and blue. You know what I mean? So speaking as a former Michigan fan, I don't hate the maize jerseys, but they remind me of like the, for comparison, they would be like the gray that Ohio State wore the uh, Penn State game, I think. They're relevant. Obviously, they're in their colors. Are they the nicest looking thing? I would argue no. But in my opinion, I liked the white on blue. And now I know uh, traditionally Michigan is white on maize. I liked the white on blue. Will Johnson posted a picture of him posing in the big house with 
uh, white jersey and the blue paint. That that looked smooth. That looked really smooth. But like the Ohio State black jerseys, I just wasn't a fan of because there's the, it's scarlet gray and white. You know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. That's that's just what I kind of. I I don't. I liked Michigan's white on blue. Don't really know what to feel about the maze yet. I I don't know. Are they gonna wear that at home or away? Like I've I have no freaking clue. I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world when they were in 2017 when they played Florida. But I definitely switching up the pants. The all white doesn't look that great in the Michigan uniform. Maze pants, blue pants. I like it. They have some of the best home uniforms in football already. It would make sense that they try to up that road uniforms. We talked about going back to the maze should be a priority for them. If they go to the blue, that was a sharp look. Not traditional, so I guess it depends on what way you want to look at it. The only thing I'd say about the maze uniforms, especially when it was maze on maze, gave me big-time West Virginia vibes. I just felt like I was looking at the Mountaineers, and it was a 60-58 game I was about to watch. Yeah, I agree. Just even the the maze on blue, it just it screams West Virginia. Maybe if their offense starts playing like West Virginia's typically does, <laughs> maybe that's what they're going for. You know what? Harbaugh's a weirdo. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Hey, you know, if we just change our pants and put on this maze jersey, we'll we'll start scoring 45 points a game, which I guess I don't know if it's that high, but they typically score a lot of points. That should wrap us up with our topics this week. Like I said, we'll get more into the recruiting again as we're going to have more news for you going in following here. But we're going to throw it over to our Ask CHW segment now. We had three questions come in this week, so we're going to answer those. They're all pretty straightforward, so we're going to get in and get out pretty quick for you because we know this episode is running a little long. But here we go. First of all, from Alex Pessel. We've had him ask a few here. We really appreciate it, Alex. In a tie game with two seconds left, which Big Ten player from any era and any team is knocking down a fadeaway three to win it? Who are you picking? I'll go first, and then I'll throw it over to you guys. It was it was basically two guys for me that jumped out. One, the homer in me. I love John Diebler. He was my guy always. He was like the like Ohio State Jimmer for debt for us, where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be three-bler one day. And then you remember you're 5'9", so you can't play basketball. But non-Ohio State aspect, you got to go with the guy that threw up most three-pointers in a single season ever, Carson Edwards. Guy was a beast a few years ago. When he got hot, nobody was beating Purdue, especially with that size on the inside. So with me, without a doubt, it's Carson Edwards or John Diebler. I did a throwback one, okay? And this one goes, he 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 included any era, okay? So I, I did a throwback. I actually had to do some research on this, and it wasn't a ton. I just It was a YouTube video. Indiana won the national championship in 1987 okay do either of you know who hit the game-winning shot in that game victor oladipo oh so so close it was not victor oladipo it was actually keith smart so that's that's who i'm going with for alex's question Keith smart i'm showing indiana some love (laughs) wow that was a good one hayden (laughs) thank you alex for the question that was it was kind of a tough question to answer, to be honest with you. The homer in me wants to say Trey Burke because he was very clutch, hit one of the most clutch shots in Big Ten basketball history. Carson Edwards was another person that came to mind. Glenn Rice, Jim Jackson, other ones that came to mind. But I'm going to, you know, my recency bias, I'm going to go with Trey Burke. I don't blame you. I went homer with Diebler. You're allowed to go homer with Trey Burke. I feel like that's the only rules here. 
But again, thank you to Alex for that question. Again, keep them coming. We really appreciate it. Our second one from at Richie Bakes on Twitter. He asked us, which Big Ten basketball coach and football coach would be most likely to win in a fight? The way I read this, and I assume you probably did too, is that this was a 14-man battle royal with all these freaking coaches. Who's going to be the last man standing? At least that's who I was taking. And for me at that point, easy decision. Pat Fitzgerald and Juwan Howard. You got to go with the former athletes. You got to go with the size and the bulk here. I'm just trying to imagine like Pat Fitzgerald like in a fight against like Paul Christ. And Paul Christ has got like cheese curd crumbs on his cheeks and like half drunk still. And he's like, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing? What hit me for? So like that for me, those were the two. It was obvious and it was a really funny question, I guess, to answer. So I, again, thank you at Richie Bakes there. Casey, how about we hear from you now? Who do you have coming out football and basketball? Thanks for the question, Richie. Uh, but this was really an easy answer for me, too. It's Pat Fitzgerald and Jawad Howard. Uh, there, there, there's just no debate. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald is somebody that is very – I feel like he's a really nice guy, and we love him at Northwestern. He does great things with Northwestern, but he's a big dude, and I feel like he's got that – you know, to play linebacker in the Big Ten and to play in the NFL, He's he's got that uh, extra gear that – other people don't. And then Jawan Howard, I I don't know if you guys remember, gosh darn it, was it the, yeah, it was the Michigan-Maryland game and the Big Ten tournament when he got ejected. And man, he looked like he was just going to beat the brakes off of Mark Turgeon. So yeah, it's Fitzgerald and Jawan Howard for me. All right, so I'm going a little different on these, on these, this question. For football and you guys acted like it was the he was a lock answer. I chose Jeff Brom, and if no you way. Were, if you go through, he was playing in the XFL, and they asked him a question. It was like at halftime or you know sometime during the game, and he said something like, "Do I or do I not still have a pulse?" And the answer is, "Yes, I do." Let's play football. That's the guy that I'm that I'm gonna take in a fight all day, and I res- I you know that's Patrick Gerald's fine. That was probably a good answer, but it was too obvious for me, so I had to go a little different. I wonder and then why my it's bat- obvious. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why. I wonder why. And then my 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 basketball one again a little bit different. I chose Brad Underwood because I that guy is is fiery, but he's not to the level. Of Fran McCaffrey, where he comes off like that, like you know, Fran McCaffrey would get his ass whooped. But Brad Underwood, on the other hand, you know, he's still fiery like that. But I feel like he could lay lay some wood, so I, I would take him. Yeah, that was a great comparison. I think Underwood is just or very similar to McCaffrey, but you're right, McCaffrey would get his butt whooped, and Underwood, man, I. I didn't even think of Underwood because I thought Howard was just like the easy answer, but that's that's a great answer, Hayden. For the record, though, Scott Frost would put Brom in a freaking phone booth. I, I'm just telling you, Frost would even take Brom down. But I, that that was a good a little answer there. Let's play football. Hey, he'll get up after getting knocked out. I'll give him credit. He doesn't seem like he's too worried about the uh, the CTE in the future he'd be dealing with when he gets his ass kicked. Yeah, I think I think Hayden just has, you know, in his memory that quarterbacks just, you know, can beat up linebackers like what I did with him a couple times oh, and most Lord. yeah, most notably the the hole that's in the wall at my mom's house is his head when I was beating the piss out of him. 
So he thinks he's tough because he beat up a thirteen-year-old. Oh, you catch that work, Hayden? You were fifteen, and you had I was fourteen. Tw- I was fourteen. Now you're you eleven. Had- What's the age? What's the age, guys? Yeah, I, I think he was fourteen. He had what'd you have? Fifteen, twenty pounds on me. So come on now. Good lord, I hey, don't have anything hey, to say. Hey, yeah, yeah. You know what I gotta say? Why don't you come over? I got a pretty nice little spot right here. I'll put your. I'll put. <laughs> we'll I put would love. I would love to have a rematch of that because I would win. Dibs would you? I will. Have Do you so really think pay per view? Let's put it on pay per view. I would pay to watch the fight too and just have it recorded so that uh, you really. All right, all right. We're 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 getting. We're gonna argue about this all night. Interesting, interesting right there, Hayden. Let's get to our last question to get this shit over with. Yeah, we will here. I, I just want to say that I'd be the UFC like referee in this that like lets about eight punches too far for whoever gets knocked out. Be like, I don't know. I, I'm not, He might be coming back up. He might be coming back up. So we're going to just keep throwing. But yeah, thank you again at Richie Biggs. That was worth it just to, to have those two go at each other and, and be able to sit back. That was nice. But then here, last question here from Justin Stoner. Again, thank you for the questions. We'd really appreciate it, guys. Hypothetical one-on-one tournament in the Big Ten basketball of the coaches. Again, big coaches episode here. What coach not named Juwan Howard could we see winning? So we're just imagining pickup basketball in your backyard, maybe a game to 11, something like that. Who's your winner? Whoever wants to go first, take it away. I'll go first. <laughs> the reason I went first is I picked the most generic answer. And that's Fred Hoiberg because he played 10 seasons in the NBA and I don't think anybody could talk. Yeah. Other than Jawan yeah. Howard. Jawan <laughs> Howard probably would win. But he he played 10 seasons in the league, so he has to be pretty pretty all right. I, let me rephrase this for Justin then because I think he probably would have put Hoiberg as well since he excluded Howard. If you had to pick someone outside of those two with the former NBA experience, who would you have? Without those two... Gosh, it's so tough. I will go with Tom Izzo because I read a story about him one time that he missed a free throw in like the state championship game and it caused his team to lose. And he proceeded to shoot a thousand free throws after the game and he made like 900 some of them. So I guess I'll go with him. Sounds like you needed to make one more though. Casey, who was on your list if you couldn't pick Hoiberg or if you couldn't pick Juwan Howard as well? Yeah, I was going to run off some uh, Hoiberg stats here to uh, <laughs> kind of boast my argument. But looking at the coaches in the conference, I think I got to go Chris Collins because his dad was an NBA coach. I have no idea if he can actually ball or not. But, I, I mean, to be honest, you get rid of Howard and Hoiberg, I, I don't really know if anybody else – played college ball or, or or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Chris Collins. I like you guys had Hoiberg before we threw that little wrench in because it kind of feels like nobody's going to be able to step on the floor with that guy. He's going to make – he's going to create space and he's going to beat up somebody, especially one-on-one. Outside of that, we have some unathletic and uncoordinated-looking coaches in the Big Ten. So it was a really hard decision. I Honestly, I like Collins a lot. That might have been probably – I had to pick maybe I go that route but yeah this is where I should do something like Greg Gard that like obviously no one would expect to win but since you guys don't like him I get to say Greg Gard and then looks like I can pander to the Wisconsin Badger faithful a little bit but it's it's Hoyberger Juwan Howard without a doubt 
But thank you guys again for those Ask CHW questions. We really appreciate it. Make sure you send them again. Remember, it's just Casey and I next week, so we're going to be working with that a little bit. So it'll be a lot of fun. And then we'll have Hayden coming back the following week. But that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back next week on July 2nd. As I said, it's actually just going to be a show with Casey and I as Hayden is down south in Mexico. So Hayden, please enjoy that. Be safe and get back here so we can talk more sports. But as bummed as we are not to have you here with us, that also means we're going to be introducing a new segment for you guys called Deuces Wild. We'll explain more about that next week, so you guys are going to want to tune in for that. Also, again, make sure you send those Ask CHW questions to us by either tweeting at us, using the hashtag AskCHW. We also will accept those questions tagged to us on Facebook or Instagram. We love all you guys' feedback, so please keep the comments coming. Have something you want to see us talk about, let us know. Have something you want us to do differently, let us know. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, at Pod. Facebook at P and N pod and Instagram also at P and N pod. Otherwise fellas, do we have any final thoughts? Yeah. Final thought. I saw um, a funny video on ESPN and it was about college coaches, headbutting players that are like coming off the field to make a good play. And you know, some of them have like a gashed forehead and they're bleeding and they're like all jazzed up, which it's, you know, it's fun to watch. It gets you hyped up. But you got to be a huge psychopath to do that. So if, if you have time, go on ESPN. Look, you can find the video. It's like on the front page, probably still. Find the video. Look it up. It's kind of it's a good watch. Is LSU's strength coach or or whatever it was on there? The dude that yep. bashed his head. Yeah, bashed his head and gets the helmet and just start bleeding everywhere. What about Northwestern strength coach that was out in like you know ten degree weather with the short sleeve on? Is he on there? I do not remember him. What about Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns? They had a strength and conditioning coach about five years ago, like the LSU guy, headbutt, immediately gassed open, and it's pregame. So he's oh, like yeah, on yeah. the sideline all game with blood down his face. God, you guys are just quizzing me. I, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> did, you, did you read the article or not, dude? It was just a video. It was just a video. He's the oh, guy that when he okay. reads books, when he's like in class, he just watches like the, the movie or video or on YouTube. And he's like, oh, it's basically the same as reading it, right? We're good. Casey, what are your final thoughts for us, man? My final thought, as I'm scrolling through Twitter, I see a like here from Keenan Bailey. So I'm going to leave you all with a quote here. The only thing, even in this world, is the number of hours in a day. The difference in winning and losing is what you do with those hours. You know who said that? Jesus. Hayden, you got a guess? Jesus. <laughs> oh, Woody A's. Oh, so we were right. Mm, not quite. Wally and Hayden, one for one. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. That That is a good little quote there. I that, that was fun to read. My last quick thought for you guys, I keep doing this each week as we hear these announcements, but Ross Aid and Camp Randall along with the rest of Purdue and Wisconsin Athletics, are going to be at full capacity again this fall. It's always great to hear these little bits where we're going to be back to normal, or at least look pretty normal once we get back. And in the last, last thing, I was a little surprised to see Ohio State. They're favored in all their games at this point by double digits or more, including their big four this year. Home against Oregon, minus 10. At Indiana, minus 11. Penn State, minus 10.5. And, and at Michigan, 11.5. It's just not something I'd, I'd prefer. Not necessarily like you can be the underdog role as a Buckeye fan anymore, 
but having double digit expectations for games, it's tough when you have that high of a, I guess, expectation going into a year that it, it kind of makes me a little bit nervous. You got some free money out there, Wally. You got some free money. Let's hope so. We're definitely going to try to get into that gambling and probably introduce a segment for you guys as we get closer to the season. But again, that will bring us to another end of an episode of Pigskins and Nylon. Make sure you're back here from us next week for episode 11 with Casey and I. And in the following week, we're going to have Hayden back for episode 12 and hear a little bit about his Mexico trip. But until then, you guys have a great week. We'll be hearing from you next week. 